Hey, welcome to the podcast for Scotts Hill Baptist Church. We hope this message helps you discern what is true, what is right, and what is good. Also, we pray that it acts as an encouragement to you today. We are currently in a series called The Movement, which is a study of the book of Acts. We are specifically looking at God's movement through the early church. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Scotts Hill. So glad to see you here in person. Those of you who are watching us online, thank you for inviting us into your home. We want to invite you to our home and uh, look forward to the day where you can come and join us as we worship together, as we fellowship together, as we edify one another together. Those of you in the Cross Point Center, let me give a shout out to you as you are in there in a mask only service, um, continuing to worship there. And for those of you who are watching us out of town, my brother who watches in Atlanta, Dennis, shout out to you, woo, big brother. And and it's good to see you. You don't see me, but I know you see me, but I don't see you. Yeah, you got it. And so that's why you're the big brother. And so anyway, it's so good to have everyone here. We're, we are wrapping up our series that we began January the 17th on the book of Acts. Today, we're coming into the last two chapters of the book of Acts. It has been an incredible study. It's been a study that's transformed my own heart and my thinking with respect to the gospel and what God wants us to do in these days that we live in. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your devices, go ahead and open to Acts 27, and we're going to cover Acts 27 and 28 in about 35 minutes, okay? So we're gonna, as we pour into that, let me just remind you of where we began. We began the book of Acts with Jesus giving final commands to his disciples. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we find the mission statement for the entire book of Acts. Jesus says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In that statement, we find the entire mission statement for the book of Acts. He says, you will receive power, and he's speaking specifically of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do the mission of God without the infilling and the fullness of the Spirit of God in us. Then he says, you have a purpose. You will be my witnesses. And as a witness, you're going to live your life in such a way that you're going to declare who I am and what I've done in your life. And then here's the plan. You're going to start in your community. You're going to move to your country. And then you're going to go to the continents. And as we follow through the book of Acts, we see that played out perfectly from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 28. And now we find that the gospel has been a wildfire and it has spread beyond cultures, beyond boundaries, beyond countries, even beyond religions. Those who had worshiped pagan gods now are disposing of all of them and are followers of Christ. Their lives are transformed. They're brought into a new community and the church is expanding to the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts doesn't have an ending. And today what we'll see is how it ends. There's a reason it doesn't end, because the mission continues. And that mission continues today through his followers, you and me. And we still have the power of the Holy Spirit who infills us and, and, and enables us to be able to do the work of the ministry. We still have the same purpose. We are witnesses of the Lord Jesus in this world, and we still have the same plan, our community, our country, and the continents. When we last looked at the book of Acts, we found the apostle Paul was in some trouble. 
He had gone from town to town preaching the gospel, and everywhere Paul went, there was either a riot or a revival, and many times at the same time. And Paul was in Jerusalem, and he was falsely accused by the religious leaders, and therefore they wanted to put him to death. A group of men signed up as assassins, and they were going to kill him. But to protect Paul, they move him from Jerusalem to Caesarea, and he was in Caesarea for more than two years. In Caesarea, he was under the, the, the guidance and the protection of a man by the name of Felix, who was the governor. And then Felix re- was removed from his post, and a new governor comes in by the name of Festus. I don't know where they get their names, but Festus. And so Festus is now the new judge. Well, he wants to appeal to the Jews in Jerusalem. So he leaves Caesarea, he goes to the Jews in Jerusalem, and he says, hey, how about if I bring Paul back on trial here? And then he goes back to Caesarea and he tells Paul, we're going to send you back to Jerusalem. There you're going to be on trial. Well, Paul knew if I go back there, I'm a dead man. They're going to kill me. They're going to stone me. They're going to execute me. So Paul, being a Roman citizen, appeals to Caesar. And when you appeal to Caesar, you have to go to Caesar. And now Paul has appealed to Caesar. And so Festus is trying to figure this whole picture out. So he calls in his friend, King Agrippa. And King Agrippa and Festus together listen to Paul's defense. He shares the gospel as as we saw last week. And then they give their verdict. And here's what they say. Then the king rose, which is Agrippa, and the governor, who is Festus, and his wife Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. If he had not appealed, he would be a free man. And basically they're saying, Paul, you messed up here. You appealed to Caesar. Now to Caesar, you must go. If you would have been quiet... You would have been off the hook, but it's unfortunate that you use these words. And Paul, I want to tell you, man, you got some bad luck going on in your life. Man, all these guys are after you. Everybody wants you dead. You come here, you use the most unfortunate phrase, and now you got to go to Caesar. In other words, you're going to be standing before Nero himself. And then when we start in chapter 27... Luke begins to give us this detailed picture of the Apostle Paul's journey to Rome. I mean, this journey was filled with danger. It was a howling journey as they're in a ship caught at sea and a northeasterner and is blowing them out of control. Death is imminent. Luke is obviously on the ship. He's recording in graphic detail of all the struggles that they're going. And for a chapter and a half, Luke describes their dangerous journey. Now, you got to wonder, why is Luke giving us so much information on this sea trip in a ship that's about to go down? What does Luke have in his mind? Why is the Holy Spirit using precious time in the scriptures to tell us about this journey? And here's why. Chapters 27 and 28 deal with a very important doctrine that many of us walk around. It is the doctrine called providence. 
Because what we see in chapters 27 and 28 is God's providence in Paul's life. We see God's providence working to fulfill his purpose in Paul. And Luke wants us to see how God's providence is working its way out. How God's providence is taking care of Paul in the midst of this. How God's providence is even impacting people who are around Paul. And how God's providence is absolutely essential in your life and my life as we seek to glorify him. So the first thing we have to do is we have to say, what is providence? A lot of times we hear that word and we really don't understand it. But I want to give you a simple definition of what providence is. I want to talk to you about what providence is not. And then I want to show you in chapters 27 and 28, God's providence in Paul's life. And that same providence is active for you and me today. Here's the definition for providence. Providence is God's constant care for and his absolute rule over his creation to accomplish his purposes for his own glory and for the good of his people. That's the providence of God. Now, in this definition, there's some things that we see. First of all, we see God's sovereignty, his absolute rule. We see the sovereignty of God as the overarching umbrella of providence. The second thing we see is his constant care. We see God's care and his goodness in the life of his people. So we see the greatness of God, and we see the goodness of God. We've taught our children this. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. This is a prayer of providence, that he's both great and he's good. Now, what's the purpose of his providence? That he fulfills his own purposes, his will, that will bring him glory and is good for his people. That's providence. Now, let me tell you what providence is not. Providence is not God behind the scenes pulling the strings and you and I are puppets. It's not him putting the thoughts in our minds. It's not him making the actions of our lives be something we don't want. Providence is not God removing the free agency of humanity. Providence is God working in the midst of all that. God's providence is what's known as concurrence. He works through and behind the thoughts and the actions of people, whether those are righteous thoughts or evil thoughts, righteous actions or evil actions. Here's the mystery of providence. God takes all the actions and the thoughts and the attitudes of people, and behind the scenes, God is working them out, giving freedom to individuals, but using all of those to accomplish his purposes. It's something that we don't recognize, and sometimes it's surprising, but God is the one who's working to accomplish this, and because he is God, he can take the things we can't comprehend or understand and use them for his glory. Let me give you an Old Testament illustration. Remember Joseph and his brothers? Joseph, the coat of many colors, loved by his dad, hated by his brothers. What did his brothers do? They made a willful choice to want to kill Joseph. They took him, they threw him in a pit. They decided not to kill him, but they sold him to a group of Ishmaelites that were coming by and they bought him and they decided to sell him to Potiphar. Potiphar decided to put him in prison and in prison, he ultimately became the prince. And when he was finally reunited with his brothers, here's what Joseph said to them. 
He said, God sent me before you to preserve life. In other words, God is the one working behind the scenes. God is the one who is doing all this. But then he says this to him, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. There's the concurrence part. God accomplishing his good purposes, even through the evil actions of other people. And providence is involved in all of the lives of God's people. Here's what I wanna show you now. I wanna show you four ways providence shows itself in Paul's life. So we're gonna go through these pretty quickly. Then we're gonna make some practical applications of how providence works in our lives today. Here's the first thing. It was God's providence that led Paul to Rome. Now, Paul had a desire to go to Rome when he was in Corinth. He wrote in his letter to the Romans in chapter one, he says, oh, it is my desire that somehow God would allow me to be with you. He had no idea how that would work. He had no idea how he would end up in Rome, but it was God's plan that Paul would end up in Rome. In Acts chapter 23, verse 11, Paul has been accused by the Jewish people. He's threatened with his life. The Lord Jesus comes to him and says this, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. God's providential plan for Paul was to ultimately end up in Rome. Now, as he's on this ship, and this ship is in a dangerous situation in Acts chapter 27, they're caught in the midst of a storm. There seems to be imminent loss. And then we find in chapter 27, verse 24, an angel of the Lord appears to Paul and he says, do not be afraid. You must stand before Caesar. Here's the underlining thing. It was God's plan from eternity past that Paul would go before Nero himself. And it is God who's working out all the details. God worked out the situation in Jerusalem that moved him to Caesarea. God worked out the situation to where he was going to be brought back, where he appeals to Caesar. And none of that is bad luck. None of that is bad karma. It is the providence of God. Now, I want you to think about your own life. I want you to think about where you find yourself today. I think about my life. I think about even how I came to Scotts Hill. You know, when I was pastoring a church in Florida and I was enjoying my time there, but the pastor that was here asked me to come and serve alongside of him. I don't know why God wanted me here. It didn't make any sense, but I came. And I came as a student pastor and a children's pastor. And then all kinds of things started to happen in the life of this church. There were some very destructive things going on. If I knew all of that before I came, I never would have come here. And I came. And then I recognized this is a sinking ship. And I'm going to bail out of here when they get a new pastor. And my plan was to go. That was 27 years ago. And then God's providential plan, he brought me here. My wife told me one day, she said, Phil, I believe God led you here to be the pastor of this church. I said, get out of here. And she has been right ever since. 
I tell her all the time, I married Mrs. Wright. I just didn't know her name was, first name was always. But um, <laughs> think about your own life. Think about how God worked the details behind the scenes that you could not have imagined and how you find yourself. I think about some of our staff members. Jim Dunn's here because of a relationship that I had with him in Graceville, Florida. Anybody know where Graceville is? No. <laughs> I was surprised the Holy Spirit did. No. I think of Stephanie Kruger. She's on staff here from Minnesota. And she's been here and doing an incredible job in our student ministry. I, I, I think about Eric Wilbur, who's running our sound this morning. Came here years ago as an interim worship because of some situations in his previous job, he was available. We brought him here to lead us in an interim worship, and today he is in charge of all of our production at Scotts Hill. All of that is God's providence working behind the scenes in ways you and I cannot understand. Listen, God's providence sometimes leads us to places. God's providence sometimes leads us from places. But let me tell you, where one place God's providence never leads us, it's into sin. He never leads us into sin. He never leads us into a place that would not bring him glory. He never leads us to a place that would not fulfill his purposes. He never leads us to a place that would not be for our good. Sin does not accomplish any of those things. And God would never lead us into a place of sin. And some of you might be asking a hard question right now. Phil, how does God's providence work out in my life? My husband left me. And I have three children to take care of myself. Is that God's plan? Was that part of God's providential plan that I end up being divorced a single woman? Absolutely no. Emphatically no. But behind all that pain, behind all that suffering that was done by a person of his willful choosing, God is there. And in his providence, he knows where you are. And in his providence, he is walking behind the scenes and the things you cannot see right now other than pain. He is there with you. Providence does not mean we do not suffer. The Lord Jesus suffered on the cross for us because of the plan of God. Providence does not mean we don't encourage, encounter pain. Providence means that it is not over yet because of where you are, because God is still on the scene working and his grace is marvelous. Amen. And it is so sweet. Let me tell you what else. You may be in a place because of your own sin and you are not outside of the reach of God's providential hand and bringing you back to a place of repentance and brokenness and renewal because he is working behind the scene. As a child of God, you are not where you are by accident. God's providential plan has a purpose for you. And here's the thing we need to learn to do. We need to learn to see his work regardless of where we are. So we see that in Paul's life. Here's the second thing about providence. It was God's providence that protected Paul from the dangers. This is incredible. 
God not only is bringing him to Rome, but God is protecting him all along the way as he gets to Rome. And God protects Paul in a number of different ways. One way that he protects Paul is he gives him the right centurion on the right boat. Look at chapter 27, verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a certain to a centurion of the Augustan, Augustan cohort named Julius. Now, of all the centurions he could have got, he got Julius. Why is that important? And went in the next verse. And, and the next day, when we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Julius was appreciative of the apostle Paul. And it was through Julius's actions that Paul had the freedom to be taken care of and prepared for this trip by his friends. But it doesn't stop there. When they're in the middle of the storm and they're about to shipwreck, Julius comes to his aid by literally saving his life. In Acts chapter 27, verses 42 and 43, the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, Julius, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. Now, this is incredibly important. Every Roman soldier knew that if they lost their prisoner, they could lose their life. And for them to put to death the prisoners was protocol in the Roman army. Matter of fact, Julius would have agreed to this. But for some reason, Julius liked Paul and he kept them from killing him. Many people will look at this and say, wow, wow, Paul was so lucky to have Julius on that boat. It wasn't luck. It was God's providence. And by his providence, he worked out the details that Julius, of all the centurions that could be on a boat, he is the one there. Now, the apostle Paul, here's in the beginning, they're going to sail through a very difficult time. And Paul stands up to the pilot and to the owner, and he gives them a warning. He says this, since much time has passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. That means it was September, October, November, which meant it was a treacherous time to be on the seas. And he says, Paul advised him saying, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only to the cargo and to the ship, but also to our lives. He's saying, don't go, don't go guys. They didn't listen to Paul. They took off anyway. They come around the point of Crete. They're almost there. A northeaster comes in, blows them out to sea for three days. They finally lower the sails and they're at the mercy of the storm. And everyone thinks it is loss. They are about to die. They're jettisoning their cargo. They're waiting for the end. And then we find in Acts 27, verse 21, since they had been without food for a long time, they were seasick. Nobody on the ship could eat. Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Paul had to get in. I told you so. He just had to do it. I told you guys not to do this. But then he gives them some great news. Yet now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the, the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on some ship. And they do it. 
276 people on that boat, every single one spared. They land on this island. They don't even know where they are. They don't even know the name of it. They come to find out that the name of the island is Malta. And then the natives there were very kind to them in chapter 28. And then they start building a fire for them because it was cold and rainy. So Paul decides, hey, you know what? I'm going to join in and help them. And so what does Paul do? He says, when he had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them out on the fire, a viper, which is the most poisonous snake in this region, of which there is no anti-venom for, came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Luke is a physician. He's recording this. Fastened means fastened. He bit him and he's hanging on him. And when the people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. And you know what they did? They sat back and they watched. They watched Paul. They're probably putting bets on him. Oh, he'll fall forward. No, he'll fall backwards. No, he's going to fall on the fire. And they're thinking, he's going to die any moment. He doesn't die. And then they change their mind. No, no, he's, he's not a murderer. He must be a god. They were so fickle. But the picture is this. Listen, God continued to protect Paul. You can say, oh, it was lucky that they had the right crew. It was lucky they had the right ship. It was, they were lucky to have the right owner. They were lucky that that is the only viper on that island that had no teeth. <laughs> you can say whatever you want, but it says this, and he shook off the creature into the fire and he suffered no harm. Why? God's protective Protection was upon him because of the providence in God's life. And here's something we need to understand as believers. If God has called us to a task, he will make sure that he protects us to accomplish that task. Now, I want to tell you, there's a fine line here between providential protection and human presumption. There's a fine line there. The providential protection for those people who are walking in obedience with God and who are seeking to fulfill his will, they can rest assured that God will protect them and carry them to the end to accomplish God's purposes. But those people who are walking with human presumption, they don't have any confidence in that. Human presumption is you presuming the grace of God in your life while you are not faithfully following him. A person who's driving 100 miles an hour on a dangerous curvy road that has a 25 mile an hour speed zone does not ensure God's grace in your life. You know what I call this human presumption many times? It's the last word of a redneck. Hey, watch this. <laughs> but here's something we need to understand about providence. Every obedient believer is indestructible until God's purposes are fulfilled in him and her. Every obedient believer is completely indestructible until God has finished with you. Doesn't mean you won't suffer pain. Doesn't mean you won't suffer loss. But you're indestructible because God is going to use you. His providential protection is on you. Now, if we really believe that, would we have any fear 
in following the commands of God in our lives. If we really believe that, I would not be taken captive by the fear of a virus. I will continue the work of God, believing his protective hand on me. If I would not be captured by fear, I would not fear the mob that wants to cancel me because I stand on biblical convictions. I will not be captured by the fear of a government that says we will silence you and take away your Christian liberties if you say that. I will not be fearful of a godless culture that wants to remove common sense and godliness from the lives of God's people. You see, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. If I really believe in God's providential protection in my life as I serve him, then I become fearless. Not foolish, not human presumption, but fearless. And I walk obediently before him. Here's the third thing we see about Paul. It was God's providence in Paul's life that impacted others. Here's what we often do not see. The providential plan in our lives has a positive impact in the lives of other people. I want you to think for a minute. If Paul were not on that ship, Julius was going to be on that ship anyway. He would have drowned. If Paul were not on that ship, the owners and the pilot were going to be on that ship anyway. They would have drowned. The prisoners would have drowned. The crew would have drowned. Now, some people would push back and say, no, 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 no. If Paul were not on that ship, probably none of this would have happened. No, the reason I shared with you that Paul gave his advice not to go was to demonstrate that they already had in their mind, no matter who was on the ship, that they were going to go in the midst of a storm when it wasn't wise. So they all would have lost their lives as a result of that. And when Paul was on the ship, the angel stands before him, and we get a clue that Paul was praying for him because the angel says, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Paul's prayer in God's providence impacted the lives of everybody who was around him. Isn't that amazing? But not only that, when he gets on this island, after he doesn't die, and they decide that he's a god, Paul becomes friend with this guy named Publius. I think he was the founder of Publix grocery stores. I'm not sure. But Publius is on this island of Malta. And here's what it says. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with a fever and dysentery. Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, he healed him. But not only did it impact Publius' father, it impacted the whole island. And when the, this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. Let me say something to you. Listen carefully. God's providence working behind the scenes in your life is not just for your, your purposes. God is using you to work in the scenes of other people's lives, that you may make a difference in theirs. Let me just ask you a question. How many of you 
have come to faith in Christ because of a friend telling you about Jesus? Raise your hand. Now, how many of you have ended up at this church because someone told you about this church and you're here today? Yeah. Don't you see how the providence of God not only works in my life, but it works in the lives of other people? I could tell you story after story after story. I wish I could. I don't have time. But I can tell you times <laughs> when I met someone for lunch because I felt the Holy Spirit telling me to share the gospel with him. I shared the gospel with him. He not only not received it, he rejected Christ and walked out during our conversation. But the waitress comes to me and says, I heard every word you said, that's what I need. That's what I need. Every word spoken, every act that we do, not only we're fulfilling the providence of God in our own lives, but God is using it behind the scenes in the life of other people. Here's the last point. It was God's providence that gave Paul the greatest platform for sharing the gospel. Where does he end up? He ends up in Rome. Rome is called the capital of the world. That's Rome. Rome was a place where everybody wanted to go. It was a depraved place. It was a sinful place. It was a godless place. But Paul wanted to go there because of those reasons so he can share the gospel. And not only did Paul make it there, but he was given his own apartment to live in. Now, he had a Roman soldier with him all the time. Can you imagine being locked in a room 12 hours a day with the apostle Paul? Can you imagine that? Man, I wish the guy would shut up, you know? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And next thing you know, they're getting saved. They're getting saved. You know what happens? The Praetorian Guard becomes Christians because of it. That's what you call chain reaction, literally. And what happens? There's so many people coming to faith in Christ because of Paul and that little apartment. And people are coming in. He's got the greatest platform in Acts chapter 28 verses 30 and 31 in like this. And he lived there two whole years at his own expense. And he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrances. Here he is in Rome preaching the gospel. But it doesn't end there. You know how he got out of that? He had to stand trial. And who did he stand trial before? Nero the emperor. And what do you suppose Paul said to him? We don't know. But if we take the historical evidence of what Paul did in every situation like that, he told Nero about Jesus. He told Nero how his life had been changed. And as a result, Nero releases Paul. Now he will be rearrested. And the second time he will be executed. But at this point, we don't know why but he is released to continue the ministry until God is finished with him. I don't know where you are, but God has given you the platform that you have. Some of you have positions of influence and jobs. Some of you are leading a lot of people. God has been working in your life and now he's working in the lives of other people around you through your testimony and your faithfulness. And God is saying to you, I'm gonna use you through your platform. Some of you have platforms of sports. What an incredible thing. Some of you have platforms of teaching. Some of you have platforms of being influential in people's lives in so many different ways. And the platforms that God has given us is for the purpose that we would allow his providential plan to work through us and impact the lives of other people.
You know who knew about this? The Lord Jesus. In fact, his whole ministry was the providential hand of God. When Peter is preaching his first sermon in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, he says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. There's God's plan. There's lawless actions of people. And in the midst of providence, God uses it all to accomplish the greatest work for humanity, redemption through his son. Let me say, no one is here today by accident. Maybe you came with a friend because they promised you lunch. But you're here by God's providence. And you are hearing today what God wants you to hear. So let me close this out in three statements and we're done. My life is not to be characterized by luck or coincidence, but by God's providence working in me. There is no such thing as luck in the kingdom of God. We should never even use that phrase. Good luck. Boy, that was a lucky catch. Man, I made that light luckily. No, there's no such thing as luck in the providence of God. How about this? May God's providence be with you. Wow, that was a providential catch. <laughs> Ooh, providentially, God kept that light green. You see where this is going? It all goes to him. It all goes to him. He gets the glory. He accomplishes his purposes. And it impacts the lives of others for their good. We really ought to remove the word luck from us and just say, wow, Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. My heart is broken, Father, but thank you for your providence. You're working behind the scenes. I can't see it yet, but you're there. And just because God is not visible doesn't mean he's absent. He's there. Secondly, my life is not to be driven by fear, but by a security found in God's providential protection. I don't need to live by fear. I don't want to be foolish, but I don't need to live by fear. Let me follow what God has called me to do. Let me be faithful to that, and let me trust him to take care of me, regardless of where I am in life. I trust his providence as he watches over me. Thirdly, my life should bring glory to God and good to others. That should be the goal of my life as a believer. Glory to God and good for others. If I really believed that, I'd be very careful what I put on the internet and what I write in attacking others and what I say and what I do. I just can't help but think about Gandhi Somebody asked him, did he ever consider about being Christians? He said, yeah, there's one thing that kept me from being a Christian. They said, what's that? He said, Christians. I wonder sometimes, do our lives keep people from Jesus? Or do our lives bring people to him? You may be here today and you have never considered the claims of Christ. My friend, I want you to know that you're not here by accident. You're here on purpose. And God wants you to know providentially that he loves you. 
and that Jesus has come for you and that he is your greatest need and he stands before you today offering you life. Maybe you're here today and your life has been a wreck. Maybe there's been sin in your life that has caused hurt and pain in other people and the Lord Jesus is standing before you today and says, I know about that. But will you trust me? And let me take those things that are broken and make them whole again? Just yield to me. Some of you have been hurt and broken. And God is saying to you this morning, I've got this. You see, I've seen the end from the beginning. There's nothing out there that surprises me. And you, if you only knew, if you only knew what I had behind the scenes for you, your life would explode in praise. This thing of providence is real. It doesn't mean that I don't do anything. No, it means I'm faithful to the gospel. I'm faithful to what God has called me to. I'm faithful to speak why the mission continues. Your purpose has never changed. The plan is still there. And the power of the Holy Spirit is in each one of us as the gospel continues to go through the providence of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful book. And Father, of all the doctrines we can end up with, this is a difficult one, but Father, so helpful. As we live and we trust you and we see your greatness and we see your goodness and we see your kindness. Father, may we live in such a way that we will continue to walk in the power of the Spirit, that we will continue to walk with the purpose of witnessing, that we will continue in the plan of letting the nations know of the Lord Jesus. And we pray in his name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Scotts Hill Podcast. And thank you also to those who continue to give with generosity. If you're new to this podcast and want to learn more about Jesus or our church, go to scottshill.org slash next steps for more information. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe to get notifications of future episodes. You can also share it with your friends via text message or take a screenshot and post it onto your social media stories. Whatever you want to do, just make sure to tag us at Scotts Hill. Until next time.